What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the CodaCast. My name is Brian Bermudez, and I'm the host of the Craft of the Air podcast, bringing you the untold world of aviation. And guys, as you can see, I'm with a very special guest today. I would like to welcome to the show Austin Myers from the NAS Wildwood Aviation Museum. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited for you to be down here. Thank you for having us. So this this museum, now I visited this museum. I had a conversation with Austin and I said I visited this museum and I was blown away by the size and the amount of aircraft here. So tell us a little bit about this museum, some interesting things about this. I know we got the largest wooden hangar, a lot of things happening here. So we, we, that's what we often get. We get a lot of visitors down here. Uh, you know, the hangar is 92,000 square foot. We got 4,400 windows. We often, we're trying to get rid of this tagline, but we often are heard, you know, we never knew you existed. We have people that live in the area, um, you know, they come for the first time and they said, how long have you guys been operating? We're like, we're, we're over 25 years. And they're like, wow, how did I just learn about you? I've lived, you know, up the street this whole time. Um, we've gotten some, some uh, advertisement help from Google and that's definitely kind of helped us get out there a little bit more, which we appreciate. But as I said, the, the building, uh, it's all wood construction, uh, you know, this building was built in 1942 into 43. We were commissioned April 1st, uh, 1943 as Naval Air Station Rio Grande, believe it or not. Um, what had happened was mail was getting flip-flopped between here and Texas. So they quickly found, hey, we need to change the name. There was a Naval Air Station Cape May. Uh, so we couldn't be Naval Air Station Cape May, which our mailing address currently is in, but it always is changing. Uh, so they made us the next uh, closest postal code, which was Wildwood. So that's how we became NAS Wildwood. Let me see it right here. That's an interesting story about the postcode. And not, not a lot of people would know about that. Yeah. So I, I, I know there were a lot of buildings here initially. And as we look around here with Austin, there, there were over 100 buildings here or something like that, Austin? It was around 160 that made up the base. Um, you know, if you're looking over over that direction uh that was the original control tower there uh there was a tower that sat on top of it uh which i think i was told uh during a hurricane i think it came down unfortunately yeah we have the original beacon that sat on that building inside the museum's collection which, which i'll show you a bit later on uh now it hosts the flight deck diner a great place to get some breakfast or lunch um but if you look across the way the other hangar there so our hangar is known as uh hangar number one we often reference it as historic hangar number one, but uh, that is hangar number two. As you can tell, the Navy got pretty crafty when they're naming it. Um, but that's actually a single, single wide. Ours is double wide. So if you were to take that hangar and put it on half of our hangar, it would be exactly half. Really? Yeah, it's very interesting. But you can see it's a little bit different. The doors are a little bit different. I don't think they liked all the, the sunlight coming in the, the window. Yeah. So they changed the design. That was built second. Um, but if you look at the ends of the hangers, there's towers on both sides and our doors, like if you had a pocket door at home, same, same kind of deal. Um, oh, yeah. the doors slide all the way down into those pockets. So you can have this hanger wide open. It's pretty cool. Was there a specific purpose for that? Like, was there a specific aircraft or was that, was, were they kind of just thinking ahead of time? Like, you know what, we may need a bigger aircraft coming here in the future. We're not sure what we're going to use it for. I think it was just so much in and out. Um, mostly what they flew here was hell divers. That's what they were training in because we were a naval dive bombing training base here. Um, so they flew hell divers. 
We had TBMs here as well. Um, There's a lot of different aircraft, but those were the main two for training. Um, and I think it was just so they had more space inside. This was originally maintenance hangar. So really? yeah, so it was a lot of in and out. On the backside, I'll show you something pretty cool. Uh, they had trained Corsairs here at the end of the war, and we found some slices in the side of the door, which we were heard uh, over time, they were Corsair slices. You're so yeah, so I'll point cool. that out to you. We're really excited to um, show you. We recently had this installed. We did a crowdfunding uh, campaign and a lot of our members and folks visiting the museum helped us get this new flagpole. Um, and then a Boy Scout, a local Boy Scout, um, ended up getting these plaques done. And this has the name of 42 men that were killed during training at our base. There was about 130 accidents. Dive bombing was extremely, extremely dangerous, especially the training. Um, so it kind of goes to show you, you know, 130 accidents, 42 men killed. They never even made it to the war front. They died here in the States, you know. So as a nonprofit, we put an emphasis on that. We want to educate on that and memorialize these men. Yeah, it's got all the names on there of the 42. And interesting enough, at one point we we understood that there was only 39 and it had become 42. So there may be other names that we don't have yet. Let me ask you something, Austin. I didn't even think of it. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So there there were a lot of accidents here. Yeah. Was it because of I, I briefly remember that video in the beginning. Was it yeah. because of the the environment around here? Was it difficult for them to train and kind of get their bearings or were they just all new pilots? It's a lot of it is, you know, these were really young guys, you know, I think out of high school, some college. Uh, so very inexperienced. I, I always kind of when I give tours when I to younger kids, I always say, you know, think about your older brother. Do you trust them driving? <laughs> now trust them flying, a you know, an 80 year old plane and see what you kind of feel about that. What would happen is a lot of these guys, you know, when they're looking at their target, sometimes they'd get fixated and then they'd freeze up. They'd end up crashing right into, you know, whether it was the bay, the ocean or back here at the airport. Um, it just, you know, it, it was very challenging because there's you have so much you're thinking about when you're in the cockpit that sometimes you just you, you don't have a response. Yeah. And it leads to accidents. And um, some other things is. Uh, in in wartime a lot of accidents what happened is you know they went too low they're supposed to i believe it's 1500 feet they went under you know you could blow off your tail um things like that didn't pull up in time there's all kinds of accidents but as silly as it sounds a lot of the accidents too came from hey they forgot to put their landing gear down huh. so you know they could be sliding out here it's it's pretty crazy that is an, and, and and you mentioned they're dive bombers so they, they're 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 training in that fashion that they're they're doing something that most pilots are not yeah going to be doing yep you're driving if, if you're not familiar with dive bombing it's you know you're dropping into a 70 degree angle uh you're going to drop your your um bomb on your target about 1500 feet and then you're going to pull up and then level out but you know like i said sometimes you just get so fixated that also you're talking about something very unique about this beautiful logo of the museum tell us a little bit about it yeah, so our museum logo, uh, interesting enough, it stemmed from a contest that was done uh, during the wartime. Uh, we had a newsletter called The Osprey, which our current newsletter is also called The Osprey. We've carried that on. Uh, but they did a contest and they said, hey, we need an insignia or a logo for the base. So this gentleman here, Graydon Locke, he ended up uh, entering the contest and that was the one that won. At the time he only won $10, you know, which then that was pretty good, you know, hey, that's a pretty nice little bonus. Um, he had visited us since the museum's been open and he saw that we were using the logo and I think he was pretty happy about it. So, uh, you know, we've been using that logo ever since. It's pretty neat. If he's looking down, he would probably be smiling. Yeah. Seeing what, what it become and see his logo all over. Thank you. We like to think that. Awesome. We're in something called a ready room. What's yes. this place? So ready room is basically before these guys are going on training missions, it's to go over their, their detail for the day. Like what are they doing? What kind of training missions are they running? 
Um, this room here is to simulate a ready room. Uh, we have some of our boards here kind of showing who they're, who they're flying with, what they're doing, and what they're flying. Um, interesting enough, in between hangar number two and across the street, we have a Vietnam uh, memorial and museum. Uh, but in between there, there's a parking lot. At one time, I believe there was, it was four ready rooms that made up that space. So, you know, they would have about four of these. You know, this is just to imitate and show you what it was like. Really? But the ready room wasn't originally in this building. They're actually over there. Pretty interesting. Uh, these seats uh, we had from, uh, I believe, Ralph Cox or the Allegheny commuter left these up uh, on the third floor. When we took over the hangar, we discovered them and said, hey, let's repurpose these. Let's use them for our ready room. You know, and then you're still part of the history and, you know, you still get the same ready room feel. Uh, on the back walls there, we have some really great photos uh, kind of showcasing, um, you know, the different parts of the base. But on the left-hand side, that would be this ramp space out on the side. And then on the right-hand side, the other, uh, that's the original control tower building. That's what our parking lot would be today. Really? Yeah, it's very interesting to see all those guys out there in the aircraft. I was just going to say, I could kind of get the feel just being in here. I know this wasn't it, but you just with the chairs, the floor, the stage, you could kind of get that feel. It brings you there. I could, like I could picture like the smoke in there, the guys are smoking their cigarettes, the old Navy white uniforms and getting ready for flight. Yeah. And these are some of the, uh, the smoke bombs oh. that our, ch our chairman and founder actually collected uh, out in the meadows when he saw them drop. So they would drop the uh, smoke bombs on barges and out in the meadows and sometimes they'd miss. But the kids, I guess, uh, Dr. Salvatore always told us they would run out and they'd go collect them. It was something that they did in Wildwood. That's so cool. It's pretty cool. So we have a couple of them there to kind of show you what they were dropping. And so we have here, it's, uh, this one says Susan on the side. Uh, this aircraft is a Stearman, which some may be familiar with. This would have been a training aircraft that, you know, you would have got your wings in. It's, it goes about 140 miles per hour. Um, you got fixed landing gear. It's biplane. It's, you're not moving super fast. It's a good aircraft to kind of learn the concepts of flight. So when naval aviators get in the wings, they would start in something like this or another aircraft is called a canary. Uh, they would fly a canary. And, and this would basically be, hey, you're, you're working up your way to be able to fly a dive bomber. You're, you're on your way uh, there. But you'd start in something like this after you would move to a BT-13 like this. As you can see, it's, this looks a little bit more familiar when you think of a World War II aircraft. Um, you got the metal skin on it. It's a little bit more powerful. You still have fixed landing gear, so it's still simplistic, but it's kind of you're like incrementally kind of feeding them new skills yeah. as they're flying. Um, after this, uh, an aircraft they would jump into is, is SNJ or AT6, which we don't have in our collection, I wish. Uh, if any of your followers happen to have one they want to donate, we would love one. Um, but they would hop into an AT6, and that you have to worry about putting the landing gear up and down. It's a little bit uh, more advanced, so it's like an advanced trainer. Um, and then from there, then you would be designated, hey, are you going to be a fighter, a dive bomber, a torpedo bomber? And then you would be designated as one of them. Kind of show you these tracks here. Kind of shows you these can all go all the way down. You can have this wide open. It's pretty interesting. This is incredible that you're able to move this. I thought you were going to get like a hydraulic. <laughs> no. This even after 80 years, they still move pretty good. Some of them stick a little bit. I would have we killed a couple of the guessed, guys' backs. I would know? have never guessed. That's incredible. Austin, does it get? I know we get. We see the mist here, so we're in the shore right now. It gets hot in the summer. Yeah. How is it here in the winter? Does it get really cold here? It's pretty cold. I, for instance, at my desk, we have a uh, little propane heater that's on the wall, really? and I wear a long sleeve shirt, long uh, like a sweatshirt, a jacket, a beanie at my desk, and I sometimes can still see my breath. But, it, you know, it's worth it. If you bundle up, we have a Christmas event called Christmas at the Hangar. It's a free community event. People can come visit the museum for free. 
get pictures with Santa. We give away cookies, hot chocolate. Um, you know, if you dress warm and you're passionate about it, you know, you'll, you'll still be able to hang out in here for hours. Our guys work out in the hangar, you know, full days and, you know, just bundle up and you can yeah, enjoy it's it. It's the aviation. You get used to it. Working around aviation. Yeah. You get used to that. Seeing an F-14 kind of brightens your day and warms you up inside, you know. Now that we're standing out here, I remember last time I was here, I think there was, I don't know if it was F-18 or F-15. Uh, so we have, uh, jets-wise, we have an F-14, um, an F-5, uh, which if you saw the original Top Gun, that was the MiG oh, yes. in the original yeah. Top Gun. They painted it black, I think, put a Soviet Union star on there. Um, we also have an F-16. Uh, it's a two-seater, so it's a trainer. It's pretty cool. Um, we, we hope one day we will have an F-18. That would be awesome would to be add cool. to our collection. Yeah. Maybe one day an F-22. Yeah, that. that too. <laughs> this is incredible, too, that I, I see people are able to have, like, weddings here and, like, some of the Navy guys have uh, things here. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yep. We have, uh, I think we had about 10 to 12, watch your step there, 10 to 12 uh, weddings this year. But we, yeah. Host, yeah, we host all kinds of events. It's really fun. Um, this year we have the Leroy Homer Foundation is doing a gala and uh, Leroy Homer was one of the pilots on 9-11, um, and it's a foundation that they have created that kind of helps them get kids that are interested in aviation, help them get their pilot's license and go kind of into aviation careers, That's which incredible. is pretty cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah, so they're hosting a gala here. Another one we host is Foster 100. Um, these gentlemen, their buddy was killed in, I believe it was Afghanistan or Iraq. But they cycle all the way from Philadelphia. Um, and it's a it's a basically a fundraiser for the Foster 100, and with those funds they uh, help give homes for uh, and and train. Um, that is really cool. They train though. service dogs, and it's pretty interesting. And they fly down from Philly. No, they bike. They bike from. They Philly. cycle. Yeah. We have uh, two other uh, events that we have. Wings and Things is an arts and crafts festival, which that is kind of gets us into the arts community a little bit more. Okay. Um, you know, we're we're pretty we're pretty niche. Like, hey, you either love aviation or military history. Um, so what we do with Wings and Things is we kind of open up the arts community, hoping to kind of get new eyes because maybe someone that's really into art, they may be really interested in, in some of our aircraft and our history. So it tries to get us kind of branch out a little bit more. Um, and then the other fundraiser we have, it's our biggest each year. It's called Airfest. Um, usually sees about 10,000 people over four days over Labor Day weekend. We have all kinds of aircraft fly in for it. Um, historic, we Typically historic aircraft. Last year we had a Sky Raider, a Corsair. PBY Catalina. Um, so each year try to bring in something different, but also like uh, Atlanticare Medivacs helicopter flew in, wow. Coast Guard flew in, the state police. Uh, so we got a lot of different aircraft down here and our main focus, as I said earlier, is education. So it's cool, you can actually walk up to the aircraft, you can talk to these pilots, you can ask these Coast Guard pilots, like, how did you get here? Like, That's what was your path? Cool. And it's a good thing for kids, especially, um, but also, you know, adults that are uh, aviation enthusiasts, yeah. history enthusiasts. You know, it's pretty cool getting right up next to a PBY Catalina. Know, right there. It's incredible. And hearing it fire up is even crazy. You know, and I'm thinking about it, and all the things that you're saying are going on in the museum, and yeah. especially the, 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 what you mentioned about the art. Yeah. There's such a shortage right now of pilots, mechanics. I mean, you name it. Aviation is in need. Yeah. We need things like this to attract students. You want to pique an interest. Yeah. yeah. No one else is doing anything. I'm not just saying that because it shows it's the truth. Yeah. We This year we hosted uh, an aviation STEM day uh, in tandem with the FAA, and they had people um, of all different careers in aviation come and kind of speak to these students so that maybe, hey, one of these jobs may be of interest to them that they want to get into the field. So we hope to bring that back next year in tandem with them and just hopefully get more, you know, aviation enthusiasts. Speaking of that, while well, well, I'm just thinking of this. So being a museum curator and working here yourself, yeah. I ask you, 
what what's what's your driving passion? What got you into this? That you say, you know, I just love aviation. I want to share this with everybody. Yeah, interestingly enough, I'm I'm not so much aviation. I'm more military history. Okay. Um, but military history kind of led me here. I'll never forget the first time I came to the museum it was only in 2019. Again, I had no idea this existed. I grew up in Ocean mm -hmm. City. Um, my my fiance or my wife now, geez, we just got married. Um, her, her, thank you. Her uh, grandfather lived right up the street. And I saw a post on Facebook and I was like, Airfest. And I was like, what's Airfest? That sounds cool. So I started talking about it and she's like, oh, that's at, that's at the Naval Air Station Wildwood Aviation Museum. And I was like, how did I just learn about this? She knows I love military history. She was like, I used to go there all the time as a kid. We should go down for Airfest. So I come in 2019 and I walk in the door. I don't even make it outside where all the visiting aircraft is. Walk through the door and like the TBM was on that side. I'm seeing all these aircraft. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> And I remember looking at her. I'd never even made it outside. I remember looking at her and just saying, oh, man, I would love to work somewhere like this. About nine months later, I think it was, there was a job for events and communications manager. I saw it, and I was like, ah, I should apply. But I didn't have my uh, college degree yet, okay. and they wanted someone with a degree. So I was like, I don't know. Uh, again, my wife comes in, and she's like a fiancé at the time. Or not even a fiancé. I'm sorry. I'll get to that. Uh, girlfriend, <laughs> girlfriend at the time. She goes, dude, you got to just apply. See what happens. Worst thing is they don't call you. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I'll do it. I applied. Uh, they ended up giving me the job, fortunately. You know, I hit it off with our director, Bruce. I've been here about three years. Um, but in 2021, I actually proposed during Airfest uh, oh. on board the PBY Catalina flying over Cape May. That is the coolest proposal. <laughs> aviation guy. Aviation, <laughs> that's one of the coolest proposals. Out it was very cool. We were back blister, you know, where there's windows open on the back blisters. And, you know, you just have all that air rushing into the into the cabin and just looking over Cape May on a sleepy Sunday morning. That's so great because your girlfriend, she encouraged you. She was the person that said, go ahead and apply. You got the job and yep. then you proposed to her where it was that you found your passion and where she told you. Yep. And then now I've been here ever since. I've finished my uh, degree. I have a history degree now and nice. it's kind of all come together. And with her push, it's been a great thing, you know. Let me ask you one more question about your experience in the, in the museum. Yes. What's the most memorable experience you've had here? I would, being your director of communications, what is the most interesting story? Um, that was probably for me personally, but that is my personal. own. But um, something else that is really, really special is we get we get veterans and folks that you know flew some of these aircraft. I had a gentleman last summer. He came in, saw our Cobra helicopter, and he said, "Hey, I I flew this Cobra. This was my Cobra at one point." And I'm talking to him, and he's like, "I have old photos." So he emailed me the photos. There's pictures of it with the old shark's teeth, and I asked him about it, and he's like, oh, I painted those on. So it was really cool to kind of hear his story with the aircraft, that now when I give tours, I can tell people about that. And, like, for instance, today I can explain it. Um, but another story is one of our other tour guides, Ralph, uh, he gave a tour one day with our TBM Avenger, and there is an older woman there, and she goes, oh, I used to be build these for GM. And he goes, oh, no way, that's really cool. This one was built in Trenton. It, it's, this is a TBM, so it's built by GM. So she goes... If you let me open up the side compartment here, if I look in, I can tell you, I did the wiring, I can tell you if I did the wiring. She opened it up, climbed in, took a look, and she was like, I built this she TDM. Did. She was a Rosie. She was a Riveter, you know? Oh. Well, not a Riveter, but a Rosie, but very interesting. That's interesting yeah. because I, I was looking a little, a little bit about the history of the museum, yeah. and I saw that while females didn't have a substantial impact, in the area, they were yeah. involved in aerospace. Yeah, like we had waves. You know, waves were stationed here. Um, they were played a big part. You know, fairing aircraft, things mm. like that. Um, you know, helping with maintenance and, and along those lines. Uh, Kill to death ratio on this thing was about fifteen to one. Really? Yeah, it would shoot down fifteen aircraft for every one. 
and I know you probably have some some younger folks watching this. So if they're playing like games like Call of Duty and yeah. stuff, they know the kill to death ratio. So they're probably like fifteen to yeah, one. Do, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing I think that kind of padded the stats on this one was uh, it was the Marianas Turkey shoot. Um, it was shooting at the end of the war as the Japanese were kind of just th throwing up any aircraft, you know, at the end. So these played a big part of that and they were shooting down a lot of stuff that way. So I think that was kind of padding oh, the stats a little bit. Saying. Yeah. Towards the end of the war. Do they have one of these in, uh, I should know cause I'm from New York, but do they have one of these like in the Intrepid? I feel like I've seen this. They may. Yeah. Maybe. There's still a lot of TBMs that are actually flying. Uh, interesting enough, but. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I think they do. It's a very unique color, too. Yeah. Yeah, the TBM was a torpedo bomber, and then they had a crew of uh, three. But yeah, they could carry 2,000 pounds, um, and then, you know, oh, you're dropping wow. torpedo, and then it's propelled, and hopefully hitting the side of a ship. Wow, but that, the bomb. That's incredible. It's pretty interesting. And uh, George Bush Sr. flew these during the war, and at one point he was actually shot down. Uh, in one of these. A young young George Bush in there as well. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> NAS Wildwood. Yeah. Also, I asked you if you had to add any airplane to the collection, what would it be? Your dream airplane if you could pick it. It's interesting you ask that because we just uh, write in our newsletter and we just asked all our staff that. <laughs> And uh, mine would definitely be the SB2C Helldiver because that was the, the main primary aircraft that they used here. And I just think that would be awesome. And then uh, if I could have anything, I, I, I also would like a T6 just because they also <laughs> learned to fly in that. But, um, but definitely the Helldiver. What is the significance of that air tower? So uh, interesting enough, that's the original tower from Bader Field, which is, you know, the first airport, you know, in the United States. And it's sitting in our museum. We're really lucky to have it. Um, but what's really cool, it sat at Atlantic City, um, and eventually it was kind of left abandoned, and they offered it to us. They said, hey, do you want this for the museum? And we were like, we would be thrilled to have it. Um, we have a little bit of an exhibit over there. You can kind of read a little bit more about it. But, you know, this is orig original and one of the first towers, and we have it. That's incredible. <laughs> and you can climb up it, and you. it also gives really nice views of other parts of the hangar and the top-down views of some aircraft. Yeah, I mean, we have... Big, we got the big times here. Yeah, so we're really excited. This is one of my favorite in our collection, um, the F-14 Tomcat. You know, carrier-based aircraft, last of the big fighters. Uh, it's painted in Jolly Rogers. Uh, we've been told a couple times, this, a, a lot of people come through, this is their favorite aircraft and one of their favorite uh, F-14s that they've seen. Uh, we, we try to keep it inside most of the time. Um, you know, it's, it's in here for special events. We'll move it out so then you can see it like during Airfest out in the sun, which is a pretty cool appeal. Um, we actually, earlier in the year, we worked on kind of a special project with this, which I can't really give any details on it yet, but I'm sure that you'll probably see it in the near future. Um, but for our Top Gun fans, you know, F-14, everyone knows the F-14. Uh, we have one in our collection. And like I said, the F-5 was the MiG. And then we also have a Skyhawk, if you saw the, the new one as well, the Skyhawks in the movie. Um, so it's kind of interesting, but... 1,544 miles per hour is your top speed. You're humming in that thing. It's crazy to think these things were on carriers. You know, you're getting launched from carriers, landing on carriers. If you look at that, the size of the TBM, it's a crazy difference. And only what? What is that? Like 30 years, you know, or so. It's pretty yeah. in impressive. Profile is just so beautiful. Look at that. You know how people look at like art and they go into museums like aviation. Like we, we yeah. look at this plane and just look at the, the angles. It's and so that's it, it's exactly what we get. And 
you know, a lot of people I think are still disappointed these things aren't flying. Uh, you yeah. don't see these, they don't fly anymore here. Iran still operates them. Um, but, you know, we love, I, I know they do a lot of these legacy flights with the Corsair, you know, and they'll have the F-18 by it. Um, but imagine like an F-14 in that, you know, throwing that in the mix. That would be something else. Is this what this is for, Austin, for the resting cables? or, or So that's the like launch that? bar there. But um, oh. if you come around back here, I can show you the tail hook, which will blow your mind. So this oh. is your tail hook to the F-14 Tomcat, which is unbelievable how, how big that thing is. And then here's a, a cable, a wrestler cable as well as an example uh, to kind of show you what you'll be catching. I often give tours and whenever kids can guess what this is, I usually give them a small prize, but it's often, <laughs> everyone always thinks it's for refueling, you know. One other kind of thing that's neat is the F-16 is uh, Atlantic City, the 177th operates F-16s. They came and put the decals on the back of our, really? of our, yeah, on the tail. It's pretty cool. This is kind of cool. We had German POWs here. I don't know. Really? Yeah. yeah, we do want to talk yeah. about that. Nobody yeah. would ever guess that. Also, wait, so Austin was just telling me something very interesting. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so uh, we actually had, uh, many don't know, we had German POWs here in Cape May County. Um, they kind of made up the early Mosquito Commission down here. Uh, when they cleared this space out, originally the Army came in, and the Army was going to use it, and they said, eh, it's not big enough for us. So the Navy came and saw, hey, it's on a peninsula. This is perfect for us. We've got water all around. We can do all the training that we need. Um, so when they came in and they're operating and they were clearing out the space, something they found, it's a little bit swampy, marshy back here. So you had lots of stagnant water. So we made the German POWs do it. Um, but if, I like to always note this. When you look at it, look how beefy these guys are. They're in pretty good shape. It kind of shows how good we were to our POWs. Um, we heard some of them actually stayed after the war because uh, they liked the area so much. Um, but if you talk to some older folks around here, they'll be like, oh, I remember I, I lived in the villas. And I remember seeing them come down and do road work. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. We still today have the Mosquito Commission. Now they operate uh, and they spray with a helicopter. Um, but some of these buildings are still there um, from when it was operating. But interesting, if you look at this photograph, this is how they used to cart them around was in a, a, this Dodge Power Wagon, which we have in our museum collection. We acquired no it uh, a couple years ago. Uh, and now we have it kind of... Uh, it's not the exact same one, but it's the same same year, same style. It's very That's, interesting. Just keeps making this better and better. That is really <laughs> tie cool. in the history. You would have never guessed that they would have had uh, prisoners of war here in Cape, a beautiful small town of Cape May, New Jersey. It's crazy to have German prisoners of war doing the work, and it makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting that Austin shows what they look like because you can see they were getting fed. Yeah, we were, were taking care water. of them. Yeah. yeah. Always took, took care of them. Unfortunately, some of our guys didn't get the same treatment no. on the other end. Yeah. Here's the MIG. Yeah. So these MIGs, were they just donated over time or was these? I was asking her about it, trying to figure it out when we were here. Were these used for training for our pilots? Like maybe they would follow, like try to dogfight this? No. So um, a lot of, we're Navy aviation focused, but some of them, it was early in the, in the beginning. It was kind of take what aircraft you could get. And this one was donated. Uh, the T-33 over there was donated. Um, other things we got off surplus, like the F-16 came off surplus. The F-5 came from the Marines. Uh, this is actually privately owned. Um, the other Spearman was donated. It just kind of depends. Um, so we get stuff from other museums and loan agreements. Uh, we get things donated. We buy things on surplus, and then a lot of times you have to restore them. But um, we've had pretty pretty good uh, fortune with donation. I believe... Uh, Dr. Salvatore actually purchased the TBM and donated it to the museum, oh. which is 
you know, he saw that. And that was originally a lot of these TBMs after the war went up to Canada and were used as fire bombers. Um, so that one was configured as that. So then we restored it back to, you know, being in use of like military colors. Awesome to have mentioned that this F-16, the, the local uh, squadron came in and they actually painted this one. Was so, it? yeah, they didn't paint it. Um, we ended up, they did the tail on oh, it for tail. us. They put the decals on it. Um, I, I, it was before me, but I think this was painted right before I came in. I'm not certain when, maybe around like 2019, 2020, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, they came in and redid the tail for us, which was awesome. Oh, it's, just, it's just a beautiful looking plane. I mean, the design of just that one inlet, how smooth it is underneath the whole... Like... Yeah, this is a two-seater too, so it was a trainer. Uh, you mentioned that, right? Yeah. So this is not a this is not a common configuration. No, no. Nope. I actually didn't know that, and I thought I knew about that. Interesting. The KU's here. This was another uh, a gentleman actually came in and said, "Hey, you know, I flew this exact uh, this little bird," and he actually donated all his items uh, over here in this case from his time when he when he was That's using cool. it. That's cool. So this is. This is history directly related mm -hmm. to the aircraft. It's very cool. That's cool. It's one of, some of my favorite things that happen is when people come in and say, I flew this exact one. But it's also interesting to hear someone tell you their story when they operated in it, even if it was another one, just because then it helps me with yeah. tours and you get to know it more. I can see that. Something else that's kind of unique, as you see, some of them have stairs up to the aircraft. You can actually sit inside some of them, which is very interesting. Which is unique because a lot of museums won't allow that. Yeah, we're like the opposite of uh, a lot of museums. A lot of them, you know, you're not allowed to touch the artifacts and things like that. Uh, but some of them we allow you to sit inside. Because then, you know, a kid that's interested in aviation, it's cool to look at planes. But then when that's you true. sit inside one, it, it maybe sparks another. So interest. That might be a military helicopter so. <laughs> flying in. Probably is, is this airport busy, Austin? Like it is. Day? Yeah. So we get a lot of stuff, um, a lot of larger jets, people flying in, but we get a lot of military stuff. So. Um, you know, they do like training missions and, hey, it's kind of nice. Sometimes they'll run to the diner and we get to come through the museum, you know, active duty military. That's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Space up here. It's crazy. Yeah, these were the, like the offices. There was uh, showers and stuff like that up here. Very cool. So this is eventually uh, going to be like a radio communications room, but this was set up for Ralph Cox's uh, mother-in-law so she could stay here when oh. she, so they could look after her. But they put in a little kitchenette for her, which you'll see. It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah, we recently, in the last two years, we redid the floors, the walls, and everything with a grant help from the Historical Commission. Um, you know, before, sometimes you walked up here and you felt a little sketchy, you know, walking on it. It was in pretty bad shape. I was going to say, Austin, I mean, the saltwater environment so many years is a pretty tough yeah. climate for this place oh and absolutely yeah and the hangar right yep and it's 80 year old building um like i said wood construction they actually just replaced the north side roof um this past fall really? into the winter yeah and, and the roof originally because it was all wood construction it was three layers of gypsum board 
So, you know, you're not using sheet metal at that time. You're literally using gypsum yeah. board. Um, so it weighed pretty heavily on the trusses, but what they did was they ended up changing it now to metal. They allowed us to do it, and it's one-third of the weight on the trusses, which is really good, you know, really good thing for us. We're replacing the south side this fall, starting in October. Oh. So then the whole roof will be all complete after 80 years. You know, these guys, though, most, of the th most didn't even have power tools at that time. It wasn't really power tools. They put this together pretty quickly, and it lasted 80 years. Kind of shows you the, that generation. You know, that craftsmanship that those guys have. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> it's really like going back in time. Yeah. It's pretty, in yeah, like if you look up in the trusses. And the main reason they built it from wood was because they wanted to save metal for, you know, building tanks, airplanes, firearms. And oh, because like of the war. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Makes sense. Yeah, and then now you can kind of see the metal. They had us paint it uh, kind of the brownish color because they want it to kind of have the original feel. Um, but no, it works much better. Better and no more leaks. We had a couple of leaks. Interesting. And if you didn't, if you didn't say, if you didn't tell me it was metal, yeah. at first glance, I would have thought it was wood. You won't. You can't by tell, the, by right? The color of the brown. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and this one uh, was done beforehand. And that's why that's white. That was the section that the hole broke through, um, oh. and they left that white because um, with with when you're doing stuff with grant work is you, you want to have original look, original feel. That's why you'll see at our elevator, obviously the elevator wasn't original. Um, so that's why it's all left unpainted in wood because they like us to show, hey, this wasn't here during the war, you know. Just some of the support beams, just the way they have everything. It's incredible for the time that it was, like you said. Yeah. That those guys were able to build. Our, uh, our former curator, Bill, he used to always joke, he said, back when, you know, the men were made from iron and hanger from wood. <laughs> you know, it's pretty interesting. Hangers and men from wood. And it really goes, we're, on, we're, up, we're up here on the second level and it still it keeps going up. Yep. It's huge. There's actually, on the other side, there's another level as well. Another, it's pretty crazy. It's awesome. The, the, every time you visit here, you'll look up, you always find something new, whether it's an old electrical oh. box or there's like a wing up there sitting up in the rafters, like... You, you always find something new every time you visit here, and that's one of the greatest things. I've worked here over three years now, and I still find something new every day I come in. That's cool. You know, it's pretty neat. It's a big building, and there's a lot to lot to see. That's that's the type of job that everybody should hope for. Yeah. Was that anything specific in the middle, or that was just like a parts room or something? Um. So I believe, I don't know that that was there originally. I think Ralph Cox ah. maybe put that, just like he put this portion in. Um, his offices, I believe, were originally in this, so he could oversee the work. Um, and they operated DC-6s, so they're pretty large in the hangar. I think you'd only have, like, maybe one or two per side at, at a time. I can see that. Yeah. And, and kind of what you were mentioning in the beginning, that hangar across the street would probably only get to, like, that halfway mark? Yeah, yep, probably exactly Crazy. the halfway mark, yep. And, you know, at the time, too, during the war, they had other things, like they had, I think, a tennis court. Um, we had we have all the old blueprints. They had like a tennis court. Um, I think there was a basketball court. They had salons. That's pretty cool. You know, and then the, there were some homes, I believe, towards the end of the war as well. Um, very interesting. Very interesting stuff. We actually just took that print. Um, we sent it to a printer to get uh, blown up. So then now you can look at basically a map of the space, and then you can look at a large aerial photograph. Oh. So you'll be able to tell the difference. Like, oh my, that's the ready rooms. You know, it's cool. It's very cool. That's a that's a neat idea. I yeah. like that. All right, guys, so I wanted to thank Austin so much for having us. Yeah, I really, I feel like we're just having a conversation here. I had such an amazing time, and I'm hoping that people come to visit Austin, 
thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming down. I appreciate it. Thank you. I was so happy to hear that story because I was like, that was so great. Like, that worked out so well. Yeah.